Good evening and welcome to another edition of the Blasios Bunch. I'm your host, Chris Blasios, alongside... Jack Saranka. All right, so another week of the NFL is history here. And, of course, we'll have updates on all the wonderful games that took place. And you know what? I'm actually not being sarcastic this week. It was a really good slate in general. So I'm excited to do that. And, of course, since we have not discussed it, we will discuss the champions, the Rangers, and, well, why they will probably only be champions this year. Which would you like to start with? Nope. You're going to let me pick today? How generous. Okay, well, I'd like to get started. I know it was said that the Cowboys-Eagles is uh, the NFL's game of the week. I say poo-poo to that. The NFL game of the week this week was Texans and Bucks, a thriller, 39-37. to What were your thoughts on that one? The Texans, it, it proves that C.J. Stroud is overall seeming to be a much more successful quarterback than Bryce Young. And... It brings up a question for me that takes us back to the last year's NFL draft. How good would C.J. Stroud have been if he was taken by the Panthers? Because in the D.J. Moore trade, the Panthers really gave up all they had left. And the guys that they signed in free agency or traded for, like Adam Thielen, they are not as big of names as, say, the Texans have or got with somebody like Dalton Schultz. So how do you yep. think Strout would have done if he was put in the Panthers system and Young was in the Texans? Okay, so it's a good question, but my rebuttal to crediting the situation is that in a lot of ways it has been Stroud's performance that has made these receivers that has made these receivers so good. Like really think about it. You know, who was Nico Collins before this season? He was, you know, like on a good team, people thought he was a number three or number four offense. I mean, for heaven's sake, no. You know, um, how about Dalton Schultz? Okay. The Cowboys literally decided, yeah, he's replaceable. He can leave. He was going into the season. People thought he was their best option. John Mechie's a guy coming off of cancer. He wasn't a super highly touted prospect to begin with. Hank Dell was a mid-round pick that they have turned into a weapon. I mean, so I'm willing to give Stroud a fair bit of credit, and I think he might have been able to do that with the current Panthers cast of characters. I think also you have to factor in that both of these guys are really young quarterbacks, and young quarterbacks and just quarterbacks in general will most often pass to somebody around their age or younger. And the Texans have much more of a strong, young, wide-receiving core. And that's why Stroud has been able to use Collins and Dell so much more than, and so much more effectively than Bryce Young has been able to use Adam Thielen and DJ Chark. Well, I was going to mention, right, Adam Thielen is their number one receiver. And in theory, Thielen is a good idea for a rookie quarterback. Thielen's a nice security blanket. But the problem is, is it's like chunk plays don't really happen with Thielen. Like he's not going to give you free, huge yardage. So, you know, 
you're going to throw to him, but you got to get that ball to him, especially at this point in Thielen's career. He's just not going to go win the ball. And that, that, you know, that's just in the past for Thielen. So, you know, that it's a challenge to, in, in some ways, to determine for Bryce Young. It's like, how does he score touchdowns? It's, you know, the Panthers have moved the ball at times in completely competent ways. But, you know, how, how do they get that ball in the end zone? How do they stop, you know, fumbling, stop throwing red zone picks, stop settling for three? You know, right now his yards per attempt is five and a half. I mean, that's pitiful. Simple. I wonder, I, I, I think what the Panthers will do from here on out is this year they know was going to be a garbage year, and next year they're actually going to start to spend big in in free agency. And the lack of not having their first-round pick is going to really come back to haunt them. And I think that DJ Moore trade overall was a loss for them just in general. It doesn't really matter if they got their long-term guy. I would have been sat more satisfied with the Panthers for keeping their core or somewhat the core that was keeping them somewhat afloat and yeah. going for a bigger a bigger quarterback in this year's draft. I would have been fine with another year of slightly below average. But this, you've lost almost everything that you've had, that you had on the field. Now you've lost some big talent that you that you would have had on the field in a couple of years. So you're going to have to spend big in this free agency, especially on the offensive line, especially on the wide receiving core, or trade for a young wide receiver. Somebody that right. fits and, Bryce Young's scheme. And can you, as the Panthers, can you pull a Jacksonville Jaguars? Maybe so, right? Because think about it. Trevor Lawrence had a very up-and-down rookie season with a lot of mistakes. The Jaguars were terrible. And, of course, you know, a lot of people put the Urban Meyer fiasco to blame for that. And, of course, he has culpability. But... You know, I, I blame more. You know, that, that team was bad. And they went out and said, okay, we're going to get Evan Ingram. We're going to get Christian Kirk. We're going to get Zay Jones. And they essentially built a core of weapons for Lawrence. And, you know, getting ETN into the fold over the last couple of years, it's caused them to turn into a premier offense in the NFL. You know, sorry, everyone. The Jags are. And, you know, c can Carolina do that? I, I don't see why not. Yeah, and the other thing that the – Jaguars did is they found a bunch of undervalued weapons for Trevor Lawrence. So when they were initially signed, it was a severe overpay. And even to this day, it, some of those contracts are slightly an overpay. But if you look at the overall effect that they've had on their team and ignore the talent and just look at the overall effect, then, yeah, then, the, then the investment was worth it. And I think that's exactly what the Panthers need to do. I agree. And one more thing about this Bucks Texans game, less of a serious thing. Um, <laughs> the legend of Dare Ogunbowale was born today. My goodness, I, I've been joking about the man who I called Dare, uh, who just today I found out it was Dare. Um, you know, that's a <laughs> bummer because I kind of like Dare more, but whatever. Uh, my goodness, he kicked the field goal today. That was so awesome to get to watch a running back 
kick a 29-yard field goal for Houston because their usual kicker, Kaimi Fairbairn, was it went down during the game. We got to watch, I mean, a, a moment that we haven't really witnessed since, ooh, I mean, uh, Ndamukong Su comes to mind. But, oh, it's such a rare moment, and that was really an awesome thing. I wanted to point that out. He's got to have some kind of kicker in his background, whether he was like a soccer player in high school or was his high school kickers or his high school team's kicker. There's got to be something there. I really hope that they interviewed him after the ball game. And I just have to, like, I need to know how did they, A, how did they know that he was so good at kicking? And and how did they, I mean, why was it Ogumbawale? Why wasn't it anybody else? How did they know? And I guess he can. He played soccer in college. He played club soccer, and he was on the high school team. There it is. That makes sense. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if on the sidelines, D'Amico Ryan's just goes, "Okay, does anybody know how to kick a football here, or kick a soccer ball, or kick anything?" And then just like five people raised their hands, and then they just picked randomly. Yeah, well, maybe the, maybe they held a quick competition on the sideline. That's what I would have done. You have, you set up nets the way that the Bears did for people who wanted to try to kick the field goal that Cody Parkey missed. You set up nets and let everybody try their best, and whoever looks the best gets the job. I mean, this was, Dare, I mean, thank you. Thank you, Dare, and and thank you, Texans Bucks, because this week of games, I, I think, on average, was probably my favorite week. I really think so. Yeah, I'd agree. It was fun. I mean, what's funny is is you're really starting to get just this slate of made-up quarterbacks that is just fantastic. It, it, some people think it's bad. Oh, oh, I don't agree. Look at this. We In this week, we had Clayton Toon. We had Josh Dobbs and Caden Hall. We had Taylor Heineke playing this game today. I don't quite recall who the Rams started, but I know it wasn't Stafford. I just can't come up with a guy. Um, we had Tyson Bajan, of course. We had, we've had we had Gardner Minshew starting for a while now. I mean, that's old news. Shoot. We have Aiden O'Connell, who, by the way, is currently kicking the Giants' teeth in 27 to nothing. And, Daniel oh, Jones, my God. Daniel Jones also just went down. Uh, again. With that being said... Before we finish, of course, our second half of this football discussion, should I uh, give us a quick run-through of the game so far today and pick a couple? Yes, you should. It sounds like I really should. The Chiefs went across to Germany, and uh, you know what? It's November, but they're going to have an Oktoberfest celebration after this one. They did hang on and beat the Dolphins 21-14 to in a good showcase of football to Germans. The Cleveland Browns completely ate the Arizona Cardinals for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, 27-0. to The Commanders beat up the Patriots, but it got pretty close, 20-17. to The Ravens showed everybody that the Seahawks are a Tier 2 team by beating them 37-3. to The Minnesota Vikings 
in the battle of who could be the bigger choker, managed to beat the Atlanta Falcons 31-28. The Packers dominated the Rams 20-3. The Texans, of course, as we mentioned, edged out the Bucks in a thriller 39-37. Seriously, if you didn't watch that game, go back. I promise it's worth it. The Saints uh, took care of business at home against your Chicago Bears 24-17. And let's look at the ones currently happening. The Colts in the third quarter holding a 20-10 to advantage over Carolina, seeming to be taking care of business there. The Raiders again crushing the New York Giants. And in America's so-called game of the week, it is Eagles 21, Cowboys 17 in a game that nobody can decide who they want to win less. Jack, which game would you like to, t- to talk about first? Well, this week I vote that we completely ignore the Bears, and I vote that we discuss the Vikings and the Falcons. Because both teams. I would love to. Because both teams are really weird, unpredictable. Um, both have what was at the beginning of the season a powerhouse with the Vikings passing game and the Falcons running game. And both have, in a way, slipped off. Yep. I mean, so Minnesota, this is such a weird stat. (laughs) This is really funny. So in games where Justin Jefferson plays, the Vikings are 1-4. and And without Justin Jefferson, they have yet to lose. That is amazing. So clearly he doesn't get a new cut. No. But, but, I mean, that is so weird to me. And think about this. How scary is it that Addison already looks like a number one receiver as a rookie? And since K.J. Osborne went down during this game, if he doesn't come back for next week, then he is going to be the one and only receiver that they have to work with. In many ways, yeah. I mean, they, you know, continue to to occasionally implement the former Rams return specialist in the Super Bowl year, Brandon Powell. And, of course, uh, you'll look to see Dobbs probably lean very heavily on Hawkinson over the next couple of weeks while he kind of gets acclimated into the offense, but my goodness. And, and this team is, this team, I was about ready to give it up, but I think this team is the truth. The Vikings? At least enough of the truth to win nine or 10. They will get in. Mark my words. The let's, let's move the discussion over to the Falcons. Coming into this year, I was saying the Falcons were, an undervalued team that was really right in front of the face of everybody, but people were missing them. And in a way, I feel I was right. In a way, I feel I was wrong. But it is a very confusing team. Taylor Heineke has never broken out. He has never been the quarterback they hoped he would become, and I was thinking this was the year he'd at least become maybe the 12th best, 13th best, slightly above average when it comes to all quarterbacks in the league. Bijan Robinson, I was actually hoping more from, especially after the first two, three weeks. And 
there has not been many receivers that have really broken out, especially on a national scale. And and the trouble is, is that that's kind of the intention of the offense. The offense is designed to be as hodgepodge and as random as humanly possible. I mean, look at this today. Today, your leading receivers were Jonu Smith with 100, Kaderil Hodge with 60, Kyle Pitts with 56, and Mac Hollins with 36. All right? Come on. So, and of course, yes, you want to tell me Drake was hurt? Fine. But then explain to me why Tyler Algier is still out carrying Bijan in November when they drafted Bijan eighth. Now, did I tell them they were ridiculous for drafting Bijan eighth because they had Patterson and Algier? Hell yeah, I did. <laughs> but but they drafted him. So I thought they were like, okay, we don't think Algier's any good, and we're just going to say thank you for your service. You're a backup now. But 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 they didn't do that. They took a running back eighth overall to put him in a platoon. Does that make it make sense, Jack? I'm wondering if they are trying and they are seeing the trend with running backs where these teams use them so much in their first three years, run them into the ground until they are injured so often that they can barely walk. I'm wondering if they see that and they are trying to platoon it in order for Bijan Robinson's career to be more long-term and not be as injury-prone as guys like Saquon Barkley and Todd Gurley and these other big-named first-rounders who really just get injured or are not even in the league five years after they were drafted. I'm wondering if that's what yeah. they're doing. I mean, that's very possible, but... Emil, you know, at the same time, you're in a weak division race and you keep falling. What the heck? I mean, wake up, Atlanta. You're going to let the Saints stumble into the division title? It's amazing that division. It's amazing that division. Everybody's trying to lose today. The other thing about that division, though, is it is very weak considering that they don't have any team that really stands out. But it is not like the AL Central in baseball where everybody sucks and then there's this one team that's 500. They are all about 500. Not a lot of those teams are truly horrible, but none of the teams are really great at the same time. They're all well, floating in the middle, really. Yeah. Except except well, let, Carolina. And let me and let me and, and let me draw comparisons because the AL Central is the AL Central is a rich argument. That's a great point and allow me to talk about it because to me the Saints are the twins this season. The Saints are saying does anybody want to win this division? They're waiting. They're saying, please, would somebody like to win this division? And everybody is saying, no, 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 You. You win. And eventually the Saints are just going to be how the Twins were. They're like, all right, fine. The Falcons are 100% the Guardians. 
there's this young group of talent that completely is lacking a star other than, you know, maybe one guy. You know, read Jose Ramirez. You know, the Falcons don't really have a Jose. It, 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 it should be Bijan, but they don't want that to be true. Their Jose today was John U. Smith, for heaven's sake. Um, you know, it's just it's just a hodgepodge of people. You know, and then and then and then really, the Buccaneers are the Tigers. They're not really a threat, but they're just kind of there to win about seventy-five and go home. And then the Panthers are, you know, whoever you'd like them to be. They're the White Sox or the Royals. I would say the Royals. I, I don't too. think. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think there's a direct comparison to the White Sox here. And the Royals are a somewhat young team with a couple of guys here and there who people are hoping they become stars, similar to the Panthers. Agreed. Agreed. Bobby Witt is Bryce Young. Exactly. Yeah. Of course, and and before, and of course, because that's going to get taken out of context. Let's be clear. Bobby Witt is better than Bryce Young. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> it was a rough comparison. We were having fun. They they are just <laughs> both expected to be the stars of their teams. Yes. So let so let's not be ward lawyers, everyone. Let's assume that we know what's going on. Let's assume. Okay. With that being said, um, uh, with that being said, I think that is mostly it for football. Unless you got anything else, Jack. Any other games you want to hit, real quick? Nope, I think we summed yes. up the week very nicely. Okay. Well, then, unfortunately, I just realized that I contradicted myself because I want to talk about the Browns. Oh, good thought. Okay, so in spite of the fact that I am going to be the first to admit that what they did is in no way impressive, uh, yeah, I'm going to celebrate. Jay Browns, they won 27 to 0. They pitched a shutout. And I can't think of many shutouts this season. Has there been one? I feel like, I feel like there has to be one. I, but I, I can't think of any. Raider, Hold on. Raiders it's, have a shutout right now. To, Raiders have a shutout going, 27-zip. They do. They do. Have there been any shutouts? I'm going through the past weeks right now. Okay, I'm in week six. No um, no shutouts yeah, at week there six. There was the punt bowl, but that was 13-10. Saints-Patriots week five, 34-0. Saints win. There we go. Um, let's let's hoping. let's see if there has been more than two, though. I don't think there has been. All right, only week one left, and in week one, nope. Uh, three shutouts. Forty zip. Cowboys over Giants. Three shutouts. Right. So the Browns complete the third shutout of the season after my statement had I wanted to make sure I refined that statement because I was very unsure of it uh but my goodness well Clayton Toons sucks um I don't have a lot of I don't have a lot of takeaways from this but anybody talking about you know what you know something Justin Fields fans Tyson Bajant fans let's come together this week all right I am reaching out to my Justin Fields supporters of the Bears for a minute. 
can we all say grace and thank the good Lord that we do not have Clayton Toon as our quarterback? <laughs> can we all thank God that we don't have Jaden Hall? Can we all be happy truth, that we don't have P.J. Walker? There are, uh, you know something? Thank goodness. <laughs> There's things to be happy about. Back to the Browns. Deshaun Watson looks good. Now, I don't know why. I I have a guess, and I, it's not really all that flattering for Deshaun. It's just that the Cardinals are terrible. But it, can you pull anything from this Browns game, or is it just, you know, nice job, Browns, way to be 5-3? and three? Yeah, pretty much a second. Yeah, I, I agree. It, you know, the Steelers and Browns both took care of business this week, beating teams that were inferior. And the Ravens are now 7-2, and two, so they remain a game and a half up on both Pittsburgh and Cleveland. And again, the thing that it really means, boy, pressure keeps building on the Bengals. Even though they're playing well, so is everyone else, Jack. That is true. The, With that being said... Yeah, they're, they're, they're in a tough division. I don't think... There's no way they're beating the Ravens. Not in that division. Oh. Oh, no. And here's the problem. They have such an issue in head-to-head matchups with the Browns that I, I, I really just don't believe that they can pass Cleveland. Really? Because... And, and and that's a bold take. I'm aware that the Bengals not being able to pass Cleveland is bold. However, the Browns have beaten Cincinnati now eight of nine of these last games. If Cleveland holds the trend, beats them again, you know, suddenly, hey, they have to deal with a two-game deficit if it was to happen next week, obviously. You know, we'll see where they're at last week. But let's say the Browns come in to week 17, 9-7, and seven, and the Bengals come in, say, 10-6. and six. If the Browns waltz into Cincinnati and beat them, they got it. They beat them. So that's why the Bengals are fighting uphill battles right now because they have not won in division yet. And that, you know, will become, and that will become a major problem when playoffs come because it yep. is a fact that they are not going to be the only one in the division in, that, in the playoffs. Yep. However, as it currently stands, the only, the only team stopping the AFC North from rolling the wild cards is Buffalo. Yeah, you're right. Cincinnati is the eighth seed in the AFC currently. And should the Dolphins collapse, which, you know what, crazier things have happened to the, de- to the team that has allowed the second most points in the conference. Yes, you heard that right. You could see an all-AFC North wildcard situation. I could. I definitely could. Yeah. Because, by the way, only the Patriots have allowed more points than the Miami Dolphins this year. Wow, that's impressive. I mean, not impressive, depressive. <laughs> it's the Ravens who have allowed the fewest at 124. Wow, that's that's amazing. Yeah. With that being said, are we good for football? I think we are. Okay. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll hit the World Series real quick, and we'll also talk about 
some early off-season moves, which is what I really want to get into here before we're done. We'll be right back. All right, welcome to the baseball section of the Blasius Bunch here. I am Chris Blasius alongside... Jack Sarwanka. Okay, so real quickly here, because honestly there isn't a whole lot to say for baseball. We promise that during the off-season in general... We will not be derelict in duty. We will provide you plenty of outlooks for these teams once the rosters kind of ha- once you kind of have a better idea of where the big fish free agents are heading uh, and some of the rumors. Because right now, it, it's I mean, we are just getting we just got done this week, and there's not a lot to say at the moment. So first of all, the World Series. Jack was right. Let's give it let's give it up for Jack. He was right. Rangers in five. I suck. So, you know what? All of all of you lovely people in the comments section who were telling me my opinion about Justin Fields was stupid, you know something? I wrote you off, but maybe I am stupid because I really did think that the Diamondbacks had a legitimate chance, and they really looked like the worst team. And I am willing to, I'm willing to cook them up at 3:50 for an hour and eat my words. With a nice side of fries today. <laughs> you know, and to any Texas fans, now's your chance. Clown us. <laughs> we earned it. But while you do that, we will congratulate you. It was a well-deserved win in a new and different way that we have ever seen, especially in recent memory in the MLB. Nope. And, that we kind of worried will ruin baseball, but yep. <laughs> and it was a well-deserved win. Congratulations for your first ever world championship. We hope you have many more in the years to come. But we don't think you will, which you'll find out. <laughs> you'll find out about that. But, uh, well, we it just suffice it to say we aren't bullish about you next year anyway. So with that being said, in Chicago sports news, because you know what, it is our it is our duty to talk a little bit about Chicago sports at some point. And since we are declining to talk about the Bears, let's get the Cubs. The Marcus Stroman, the uh, the, Bear, the Cubs declined to bring back Marcus Stroman. It makes sense. Stroman collapsed down the stretch. He had a twenty three million dollar deal. It, it, it didn't make sense to run it again with him. He was a very b- below-average pitcher in the second half of the season, and his collapse was ultimately extremely detrimental to the Cubs at the end. And you also have to second. keep in mind... Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, secondly, I was just going to offer the Bellinger, but let, let's talk about Stroman. And the other thing that, that you have to keep in mind with Stroman is the fact that he is a old asset in an old starting pitching rotation the only person out of the five pitchers who started the most games for the Cubs the only person who's under 30 out of those is Justin Steele and he's 27 and because you have such a young since you have such a young group of position players you really have to start flipping the switch on the starting pitchers too and getting rid of a 33 year old Marcus Stroman was the best decision they could have made. That is a step in the right direction for the pitching rotation. And so when you look at this Cubs pitching staff, and like you mentioned, this kind of 
this older staff, it's also important to look at, you know, Justin Steele, these people who will be here next year. Steele is the ace in every way, shape, and form. Steele was spectacular, and, you know, he, he's the guy, right? So then dive into the rest of it. Tyone, still going to be there for another couple of years. He's under control, and you have to hope he bounces back. You saw glimpses of it, but it was a bad year overall. Then, of course, you have Smiley again, bad year, but he's under contract. You know, you're probably with him again. Of course, there's the, you know, uncertainty around Kyle Hendricks. But again, look who I named. 31, 33, 34, 34. So these are older pitchers, and, you know, this Cubs team does need to get younger. And they have people, you know, sure, Javier Assad showed promise as a spot starter. Can he put that together across 30 starts in a full season? Time will tell. My hope says yes. My brain says, see, you know, those kind of guys don't tend to do well as everyday starters. So, and of course, with Nesky, had spot starts throughout the year. Again, hope, hope for progress in that regard. But really picking up a key pitcher for the Cubs, like an Aaron Nola. I mean, the case for Aaron Nola is very simple. These Cubs need somebody who goes out there every five days and will reliably get them deep into a ball game and give them a good chance to win because that bullpen either needs to get better or it needs to be understood that it is not a strength of this team and therefore we will need some good innings out of our starters. Yeah, let's transition over to the Cody Bellinger now who declined his mutual player option. So, of course, it was a $17 million player option, um, th- this was going to be a no, of course. You you watch Cody Bellinger bounce back and return to form, have an MVP-style season. I do not think this is in any way a statement that says he does not want to play for the Cubs. It's a statement he doesn't want to play for the Cubs for $17 million. And, and, and who could blame him for that? My thing with Cody Bellinger, and in a way I think this is also very good for the Cubs, after the way he fell off with the Dodgers, I just don't trust him not to do that with the Cubs or with any other team that he's been with. I don't think his fall off is at all intentional, but I don't trust that it wouldn't happen again. If it happened once, it can easily happen again, no matter what team he's on. And you don't want to get stuck with a massive contract for Cody Bellinger when he could just slip and fall off at any second. So you say... Yeah, so you say give it up. I'm saying he's not consistent, especially for a big long-term contract. Okay. Yeah, it, it would hurt, obviously, to, lose, to watch him walk out the door. But at the same time, that's a valid argument. It's, it's difficult. It's difficult to decide what, what, what you even want to see happen, let alone what should happen. So it's going to be a fascinating circumstance either way and i'm excited to see what happens yeah so am i let's hit the white Sox, jack what's going on over there on the south side all right so the organization has turned down tim anderson's team option and really it's all for the better He was a spark in a lot of energy for the team, especially over the last couple years. But really, he was an incredibly emotional player. 
And when the team yep. did well, he did well. But when the team slipped, then he was usually leading the charge on that. When he yeah. starts to struggle, it's usually going to be for at least a month. But when he gets hot and when he has a lot of positive energy going for him, then you know he's going to have a good two months. And he really, in a lot of ways, led the charge for the... I don't know if you want to call them... I don't know if you want to call it a good run, but a good year. And he also led the charge for the decline in a lot of way. Yeah, it was... Yeah. 2021, he had a great season, batted 309, and had an OPS of 806, and they were good. 2022, he did hit 301, but the on-base percentage fell. The slugging went off the cliff. And sure enough, they go 81-81. So they mirror his OPS. Last year, they were disastrous. So was his OPS at 582. I do think that you're right. There was correlation between his performance and theirs. And it was pretty direct. He had a lot of positive energy and I think was really good for the clubhouse when they were doing good. But when he struggled, I, he tore the team down with them. Also, in White Sox news, Liam Hendricks' team option was also declined. He will be a free agent this offseason, and his $15, $14 million contract will no longer need to be paid next year. And that's, that's you know, the, these two leaving is the end. That's the end of the road. It's, you know. Now... Left in the rebuild, you have Dylan Cease, ERA of five last year. Luis Robert, a bright spot on the team, the only bright spot on the team, finally having his first healthy season. Eloy Jimenez, who has never really had a healthy season, always been very injury prone, and quite honestly, his injuries have are starting to bring down his overall performance, and he's only 25 years old, I think. Then you have Yohan Mankata, who has also been eaten up by injuries in his career. The potential of what was is gone, and it is incredibly hard and would be incredibly hard for him to bounce back. But at the same time, Yohan Mankata lacks motivation. Yasmani Grandal, he wasn't really a part of the rebuild, but he wasn't addition, also lacks motivation. Both of those guys have been known and were called out as being bad for the locker room. Just because you get rid of a couple of guys, even if it is slightly better, you still have a lot of problems on that team. A lot. Yeah, there isn't there isn't much that the White Sox can do for a quick fix here. I agree. It's a it's another long reboot, in my opinion. It really is. The other problem that I stand with a lot of other White Sox fans on this is why are we hiring from directly inside the organization? Not only directly inside the organization, but the assistant general manager, the guy who had the second most say in what went wrong, and we, instead of second, we just put him at first. 
So what is going to be majorly different? Because as the second most involved guy, he had the second most influence in this rebuild and this and in this decline. So why yeah. are we just involving him even more? Well, it's, it's almost like everybody, they took a look at the situation and said, oh, wow, it's going so well. Let's give everybody a promotion. <laughs> like, well, that was not the solution I was coming up with. I mean, this was this really was a situation with what the White Sox did was they essentially just cut off the head and let the body sit. You know, Griefall is still around for God knows what reason. Getz is still there. You know, Getz, Getz is now the guy, and they're keeping Griffal in spite of an awful season and not letting Getz get his own guy or Getz his own guy. Oh, I see what you did there. Uh, well, <laughs> it was terrible, but I did something. Uh, anyway, after that awful joke, that kind of derailed what I was thinking of. Um, it it really goes to show that this team kind of has no idea what what's wrong with it. But they, at least they're now recognizing the at least the White Sox can now recognize that they suck, which. I think that took them a long time, but the problem is I'm still not convinced that they have one clue why. Truthfully, a lot of people really don't know why, I don't think. A lot of people, fans, organization, still say a lot of injuries, which, true, but you had less injuries this year. It was supposed to come together even more if you were able to pull 81 wins last year then with this slightly less injured squad you should have been able to pull about 85 and they were hoping that it was when everybody got healthy this team would succeed but it never really did yep even when they were healthy yeah so the deal, yeah, the deal with that was, to me, that a lot of times it was pointed to that the 81 and 81 season was an underachievement, but it's very easy to sweep under the rug how many things went right for that to happen. And so, you know, yeah. Dylan Cease had a Cy Young season. They won 81 and 81. Johnny Cueto had the best season of his career, and it didn't do him any good. Elvis Andrews returned to 2012 form. You know, that was all destined to fall away. Yeah, and what really happened with the White Sox, the path that they went, 2021, everything clicked. The depth was there. The depth was performing. And the star power was there and performing. 2022, it was very random. You still had some of the stars producing. Anderson was at least a positive product even if his slugging slipped, and even if his on-base slipped, he still was batting over 300. Jose Abreu was batting over 300, even if the home run slipped. And then you had Cease, who broke out. You had Cueto. You had Andrus. All that you mentioned. Then in 2023, everything collapsed. You had right. no real stars whatsoever, except Luis Robert. And Luis Robert single-handedly got them over 60 wins, which is impressive that one guy got you that far, pretty much. But 
it's still 66 wins, and that's the team that you've had. Yep. So, you know what? And as a closer to what has been an excellent episode of the Glacios Bunch here, I'd like to offer that in the end, the White Sox, just as their ace pitcher has, have ceased to be a contender in the American League. That's also a good one. And that one I'm proud of. That one I will own. You know something? Put that one on a billboard with a picture of a smiling me next to it, and I'm going to say, hell yeah, I told that awesome joke. Come at me. A, a billboard with Cease looking really sad, and then in the bottom left corner you have Chris Blasio smiling with the quotes. Yeah, with a big thumbs up. <laughs> with that, Jack, you got anything else? Uh, Joey Votto also declined his option, or the team declined his option, and the lifelong red that the Cincinnati community has loved for so many years is officially gone. A very sad breakup there, but one that, you know what, the Reds can look back, and though they didn't really have any good team memories, I imagine that Joey Votto brought them a lot of joy over the years. So if it is it, Joey, congrats on an excellent career. All right. And by the way, Mark Canna went to the Tigers, but, you know, he went to the Tigers. Good for Mark Canna. Um, I disagree. I think they're horrible for him. (laughs) Best of luck, Mark. With that being said, we come to the end of another excellent week on the Blasios Bunch. For Jack Sherwanka, I am Chris Blasius signing off. We will see you next week, and we hope we made your day one hour better. See you next time.